You're listening to The Gamer Podcast. I'm Eric from the Gamer.com editorial team, and today we're talking about the Game Awards nominees, a preview of the Halo Infinite campaign, and a preview of Dying Light 2. Let's go! Welcome to the show. Thank you for listening. It is the best time of the year. The Golden Keelys are upon us. The nominations for the 2021 Game Awards are out. I'm joined by an esteemed panel of real gamers, which includes Stacey Henley. Hello. Jade King. Good evening. George Foster. Hello, hello. And Izzy Vanderbilt. Hi. So uh, the Game Awards nominees as I just mentioned, are here, and uh, we're all upset because that's what happens when there's an award show. Yeah, we just get mad at everything. That's what first, we do. first you get mad. <laughs> um, it's interesting to see the year broken down this way. Uh, I think that there's a lot of stuff on this list that surprised us, but f- before we jump into it, um, the gamer is uh, on the judging panel this year. I think we can say that, right? Yeah. The gamer is on the judging panel. Um, we can reveal our personal recommendations and our opinions. We cannot talk about this is for the listeners at home and for the guests here. We cannot talk about what we nominated originally. Nor can we talk about what we have just voted for because we've literally just filled out our ballot. Right. But can oh, you okay. describe? Because I didn't know how this worked before. Can you describe how the nominations come about in the first place? Yeah, so the, um, they reach out to a bunch of different sites from around the world. Um, I think the, the gamer has grown quite a bit over the past 12 months. So this is the first time in the gamer's history that we've been on the uh, the jury. I got an email ostensibly from Jeff Keighley himself, presumably oh from somebody who works for Jeff Keighley, who just uses the email address, <laughs> inviting us onto the panel, asking us if we wanted to be included, um, all of the kind of the usual stuff of, you know, contact details and deadlines and et cetera, et cetera. We had to send like a logo and things in. And then we get sent a list of all the different categories. And we have to pick five in in each category. The esports and accessibility categories, we don't vote for because that's not what we focus on as an outlet. They're voted for on by, uh, by specialist outlets that deal in those things. And aside from a list of games that are close to the deadline there's no guidance given of oh you should vote for this or maybe it's this one it just kind of says things like um bear in mind that immortals and cyberpunk which came out last year would be eligible for this year's awards because they missed last year's cutoff and be advised that halo infinite um is not eligible this year because it will miss the cutoff so that'll be up for presumably quite a few awards next year so i'm just gonna dive right into the mud I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna put on a face. I'm just gonna <laughs> be myself. Okay. First of all, I want to say that there are some nominations on this list that, to me, invalidate the entire operation. Oof. Is that is that too harsh? Big claims. What are your examples? Like- okay, I have I have two that that come to mind, and I think you all know where I'm going with this. I think a one. Yeah. There's a game. There's a game that's been nominated in in multiple categories that is maybe the worst game I've ever played in my life. Uh, I'm pretty sure the game of tournaments is only up for one category. It's only one. Yeah. Yeah. 
12, 12 minutes is up for best independent game. Yeah. Is that's the only category it's in? Yeah, right. yes, it's it <laughs> Yeah. Not not best family game. <laughs> no. But it's in the family, if you know what I'm saying. Like for a second I thought it was in best narrative too, but okay. <laughs> so the other the other issue I have, and this is not something we nominated or voted on, but uh Dream is nominated for well, what is it? Best gamer, best gamer boy, yeah, content, content creator. creator. Best yeah, content not, creator. Not kind of involved in Sweden, okay. Really... Okay. Dream has a lot of fans. I understand. Dream this year cheated to win a world record. No. That's true. I forgot that that happened. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Irrefutably. Like he's still the den- he he is no longer denying that it happened. He's saying it did happen, but it was an accident. <laughs> so. <laughs> So I like I understand that outlets have nominated these games. I don't. I guess this is going to sound pretentious, but I'm surprised that other games media outlets would choose something like Twelve Minutes or Dream to win an award. And I feel like I I'm not throwing shade at anybody else, but I feel like maybe people are choosing stuff based on like marketing. And not because they've like actually played these games. It's really hard to play all these yeah, games. If you played twelve minutes, you would know that game is a pile of dog shit. Like <laughs> completely blunt. Like, come on now. Like of the five I things that were nominated. I didn't like twelve minutes at all. I think the problem with saying it in balance to process is just it was voted for by a jury. And it, it's true that I don't agree with all of the picks or even most of the picks in some categories. Mm. But what confuses me the most, to be honest, is there are two really great games in Best Debut Indie. The Artful Escape and The Forgotten City are the two I'm talking about. That aren't in Best Indie. And that really surprised me, because clearly enough people have played them to nominate them for... Right. It's not like they've been overlooked completely, like something like Eastward, where maybe it's just not enough people played it. Like The Artful Escape's in four categories, I think, and it's not in Best Indie in 12 minutes is. That surprises me. Because Forgotten City, I feel like, much like we did as the jury, you'd think others would be like, oh, indie and debut game. They're very much the same eggs in the same basket in a lot of cases. Right. I don't see the point in separating them, to be honest. I I honestly think, and this is like a bigger conversation, but I think the indie category, the independent label, is uh, is hurting games at this point. I don't think it's doing anything good. Mm. For anyone, yeah, it's it diminishes titles. It puts them in a separate category when they shouldn't be. When you look at the games that were nominated for best game of the year, they are all AAA high budget games. Um, because it, it's sort of the same thing with the Oscars, where those those chuds that freak out about foreign films getting nominated for best picture, it's like, mm-hmm. oh, they already have a category. That's how people are about indie games. Like, whoa, it yeah. shouldn't be nominated for best game. It has its own category. It, it's already in best indie games, as if they're yeah. something different, and they're. they're it's not. interesting because I would say it takes two is one of those smaller games, but it's not in any in any of the indie categories. Um, that's true. No, yeah, yeah. I mean, published Very by is. Game. Sure, yeah, but I mean, some of them are published by Annapurna and Devolver. Yeah, like that feels like Annapurna are a big enough publisher that I wouldn't define true. them as independent games anymore. There's very few yeah. games we can define as independent games anymore. I mean, unless they're self-published by you know a small unless team. The stuff on itch.io and stuff like yeah. Yes. Yeah. Those are indie That's games. That's true. 
Yeah. I don't know. I think from for me the bigger pigeonholing is this games for impact thing. There's some really great games in games for impact that seem mm-hmm. to be given these token awards of you have gay people in here yes. as a trophy. Mm-hmm. Um, and it happened last year as well. I don't know. I feel like there is a little bit more crossover within the you know nobody's not so much this year, but Hades was up for a lot of big awards last year. Didn't quite win, but last year was a hell of a year. Yeah. If Hades, if Hades is launched this year, I think he, I am going to be bold and say if I think if Hades came out this year, it would be favorite for game of the year. It yeah. just came out into a killer year last year. I think you're right. Yeah. It did yeah, win some game of the year awards as well. Like it had some like it won some game. It won it. some game of the year awards, but it did not, not win game, game of the year yeah, right, at right. the game awards. Didn't win a yeah. <laughs> Didn't win a Keely. I must have won best indie. I'm not even gonna look that up. Oh yeah, it did. I just I know it did. I know, I know me bones. It did. Deserved. Fantastic game. So I'm going to run through uh, the nominations um, quickly for anyone that hasn't seen the list yet. But before I do, are there any big snubs that people want to point out? Um, I will start. This this one is difficult because I do think it's a timing thing. But in terms of indie, uh, Demon Turf released two weeks ago, and that is fantastic. That is really, really good. I enjoyed that a lot. Um, and to see it, like absolutely nowhere not even debut indie after like getting like a pretty good amount of buzz behind it kind of surprising like especially when okay. 12 minutes is there like again it's that argument i know we all hate on 12 minutes but it's shit so you know i'm curious if it was a timing thing because a lot of people yeah i think that was the same criticism of maybe also debut indie just really stacked though yeah yeah that's true I think I would say the big snubs is I'm amazed that Persona 5 Strikers and New The World End With You is in nothing. Yes. I'm surprised in a, I suppose in a positive way that Keanu Reeves isn't up for best performance mm. into the cyberpunks up yeah. for other things. That's surprising that people didn't just vote for the Matrix Man. Um, mm. and I've well. said before on this podcast, I'm not that big a fan of Sable, but it probably should have been in score and music. Mm. Uh, I, I'll jump in on my own question. I'm pretty shocked that hitman 3 is only up for vr yeah yeah as far as i can tell i was just thinking that's wild uh and then forgotten city is only up for debut when it should be up for narrative and best game of the year Mm. i would have liked to have seen lost judgment up for something because that that game is great but it's not there anywhere like it might just pass people's minds it it being a sequel and we are getting a lot of yakuza kind of games lately Mm. Mm -hmm. well yeah, the Neo, the, the Neo song. one is incredibly like. I know, I know, Stace just said it, but that is one of my top three of the year, and that hasn't been nominated for like even music. The music was fantastic. Oh, Jade, no! <laughs> I'm sorry, I hate it. Get out! <laughs> I love. It. I really like the music. I'm also surprised it's not up for RPG. I don't think the RPG category is very stacked this year, yeah. which is a surprise. Yeah, that and Persona Five Strikers could probably deserve to be in that category. Yep, I agree. I think Persona as a, as a Musou game, it kind of falls between a few things, doesn't it? Mm. Okay, so uh, let me run through all the nominations. Now, uh, we cast our ballot, so we're not here to like deliberate on these. But jump in with anything like notable that stands out to you as we go through these. Yeah, we uh, as a reminder, we can discuss our personal preferences. We just can't say what the site voted for. Right. And, right, and right. there's more than just us four, five um, people vote on the site. So even if we all agreed, that wouldn't necessarily mean that's a thing that we voted for. Right. Correct. We're not going to reveal who we actually voted for here. No. Uh, okay. Best sports and racing game. The options were F1 2022, 
2021, FIFA 2022, Hot Wheels Unleashed, Ooh. Forza Horizon 5, and Riders Republic. Mm-hmm. Um, Hot Wheels was uh, interesting to me. Uh, also, th- wasn't there another arcade racer that came out like the same week as Hot Wheels that was really hyped up? Oh, I saw that one. Um, it was like... Oh, it has you like driving it was, like it was pretty, a new cruising, right? Yeah, that was it. It's like some weird, weird one, but looked really fun. Um, I didn't try that. But... Yeah, it almost seemed like cruising was more popular than Hot Wheels was, but Hot Wheels, Hot Wheels was good. Was but I don't think of it when a a week later it's, it's gone from my head. <laughs> and George... the show was a surprise um, omission there for me. Mm. Mm. George, you spent a lot of time with Riders Republic too, right? Yeah, I I, I really like Riders. Um, I wouldn't, well, I say it wouldn't do anything unique. I think it, it does the whole, all of the players in our map, uh, being able to swap sports stuff really, really well. Um, but again, I don't know if I would, like it's Forza there, right? Like it, Forza's stand out there for me. It's it's great that Forza made the cut because it must have been within days of the, yeah. the cutoff for nominations, right? Yeah. Yeah. So. I think what we can talk about is you, you, we get given when, when we vote, we get given what the cutoff is, and the actual votes go in before the cutoff, mm-hmm. um, because it's the cutoff is for when things are publicly available. But obviously, the idea is typically created to get the game before it's publicly available to get it in the review period. So Forza was really, really close. Yeah, mm. um, and that's the like, only thing it's it's up for. Um, but but that's probably because it was so close. Next I think was it's in sound design as well. Sound oh, okay. design. you're right. You're totally right. It is, yeah. Next was mm-hmm. best sim strategy game. Options are Age of Empires 4, Evil Genius 2, World Domination, Humankind, Inscription, and Microsoft Fight Flight Simulator, which I swear came out four years ago. Yeah, they ported it this year yeah. or something. Oh, okay, it definitely okay. came out last year. I swear. It's not it's not a game from this year, but they one of the versions of it came out this year. I don't know which one. Um, I think Inscription is the big surprise on this list, but uh, I'm very happy about that. I've, I've written about that game. I'm very uh, positive on that one. Mm-hmm. Um, has anybody played anything else in this category? No, not my category. Lights in, but I don't think it should be there. Lights in. Age of Empires 4 is very good, but it, it is kind of just like a modern iteration of 2, like the one people love the most. And it, it's amazing that it is that, but I don't think it stands out as much as stuff like Inscription does. Yeah. Not not the most competitive category overall this year, though. Mm. Best family game. This is interesting. Uh, it takes two. <laughs> Mario Party Superstars, New Pokemon Snap, Super Mario 3D World, and Bowser's Fury, and WarioWare Get It Together. So in our discussion earlier, we were kind of circling around what a family game, what that even means. Yeah. Like, what? how do you define the family game? Because these are all very different games. They're Sure, they're all rated e for everyone i think but that might be kind of the only thing they have in common yeah i think um i think you've got wario wario way and um mario superstars are very traditional like mom dad kids play it together pass the remote around everyone plays on the big tv everyone kind of stands up in the living room mm-hmm. drink some pop have some fun etc et <laughs> there is pokemon snap and bowser's fury are more like the kids playing you watch and it's tolerable. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. And then It Takes Two is a game that I would not play with a child. No. Not it seems no. very clear to me that that is a partner game. That's something you play with your significant other or your your friend. Which is another thing that we 
debated aside from you know twelve minutes. Does a game that you are supposed to play with really something you're supposed to play with like a romantic interest? Mm-hmm. Is that a family game? Yeah, w- weird category. I think in past years maybe it was all Mario Party type things. Yeah, but now it's just sort of anything a kid could play, maybe, and also it takes two. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it is quite a jumbled category, I think. Like maybe they I weren't can't... sure what. Maybe was it a lack of options? Maybe, I don't know. I'm trying a... now. I'm trying to think what else could have been. In this game Crash Bandicoot game. Four came out this year, didn't it? That would have been. No, yeah, the Switch. The Switch port was late yeah. last oh, was year, I believe. Uh, Mario Tennis, or not tennis? Mario Golf. Mario Mario Golf could that have been here. Yeah, yeah, that was this yeah, year. Yeah. No, you said Mario Golf for sure. Mario Golf was this year. Yeah. But yeah, why would a kid ever play It Takes Two? What child is going through relationship issues that severe? <laughs> I, I, well, if, I think if they are, I'd, I'd be very worried. <laughs> it's, it's a cutesy platformer, but uh, you know, thematically, mm. I don't think I would put yeah. it in the family game category. Yeah, it's I suppose the themes of it, but like, Eric, I know you did as well. I did. Yeah. Other people at the site have played this with their partners who don't play games. Mm-hmm. I could see if you were, you know, a parent who's reading the games who wanted a game to play with your child. This would be a good one, and that Marisa wouldn't follow the story, but they would be able to do everything. Mm. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. true, true. It just, I don't, may, it doesn't feel like that's what the experience was designed for. It doesn't feel sure. like a parent-child game. I don't know, maybe that's. I, I agree. It just doesn't make sense at all. Yeah. Uh, best fighting game: Demon Slayer, Guilty Gear Strive, Melty Blood. That's a real game, right? definitely sounds like one nick all-star brawl and virtual fighter 5 i i have nothing to say about this category i'm sorry virtual fighter 5 came out about 15 years ago yeah they did do uh nick brawl's really good it's a bit barren at the moment but it's got the mechanics down pat yes it is yeah it's good down because it's Smash mechanics. It's just <laughs> what the spirit of Dave is haunting. You know, <laughs> he said the exact same thing. <laughs> I like it. Yeah, I think that that's the strongest game in that category. Guil- <laughs> From what I have seen as a spectator, Guilty Gear is the coolest game to watch. It's yeah. gorgeous that game. I hope mm. it has a good pro scene because I like watching people play that one. Mm. Most anticipated. This is such a boring category. <laughs> Sorry. Most anticipated. It's so meaningless. Yeah. Uh, a third-person uh, open-world action game called Elden Ring. A third-person <laughs> open-world action game called God of War Ragnarok. A third-person open-world action game called Horizon Forbidden West. A third-person open-world action game called the sequel to Breath of the Wild. And then Starfield. Have we seen it? Correct me if I'm wrong. We've seen no gameplay for just Starfield, right? We have not seen Starfield. We have not seen anything of Starfield. It's meant to come out next holiday, as far December. as I'm aware. Yeah, yes, it's, next it's December. So it still has a while. Then. Built on promise. It's, yes, it comes out in sure. more so than a year. So it will win um, most anticipated next year as well. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it technically... Cause, yeah, because it won't be up because it comes out in December. Oh, that's yeah. weird, isn't it? Can you yeah. imagine? Uh, these are all games that will be very good and very fun to play. I don't see the point of doing a most anticipated game. I don't. It's just, I just... It's just like so publishers can wank over each other. Isn't it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it would be very explicit. It's like yeah. So I can so get emails can... that say the most anticipated winner. Hmm. I mean, it's got a okay. war, right? Yeah. <clears throat> anyway, Elden Ring is going to win. I think. Uh, they're all they're all very hype games. 
These are the hype. These are the 2022 hypes. Hypers. Best role-playing game. Uh, Cyberpunk 2077 is here. <laughs> so that that's something. Monster Hunter Rise. Scarlet Nexus. Shimigami Tensei 5, which we talked about on the podcast last week, Jade. Oh, we did. And Tales of Arise, which we talked about, I think, th- three weeks ago. Correct uh, me if I'm wrong, but yeah. in Cyberpunk, you, I know this isn't you know a measure of if a game is an RPG or not, but in Cyberpunk, you can't change your hair once you've chosen it. Is that true? That's, that is true, yeah. Yep. That is absurd to me. <laughs> it's a game all about body customization and everything. You, you, can't, you can't get a haircut, you can't do anything with your tattoos. Yeah. You can't even have a silver arm, even though that's the main character of the game. Well, they took them arm. out because he, they were going to do the sword arm. Yeah, it's all cut content. Fine, yeah, of course yeah. it is. Yeah. yeah that that would have been great if it was a real thing. There's more cut content in Cyberpunk than there is content in Cyberpunk. <laughs> um, Monster Hunter Rise is fantastic. I think it's going to get a lot more attention this coming January when it gets ported to PC. Yeah. Um, Scarlet Nexus had pretty middling reviews as far as I remember. We gave it a 7, didn't we, Jed? Did I review that? You totally did. Did I? <laughs> I yeah, yeah, that yeah. From my memory, yeah, wow. I, I, I gave it a seven. <laughs> that's a good song. Um, Shimigami Tensei. What we just—that's a very recent one. Um, did, because yeah. we just reviewed it last Apparently. week. Uh, and then Tales of Arise seems to be regarded as the best Tales game in a very long time. So, kind of a stack category and Cyberpunk. Yeah, yeah. Like, there's a several games in this category that I would happily let win i think best action adventure game we've got guardians of the galaxy metroid dread ratchet and clank rift apart resident evil village and psychonauts 2 our first of many appearances of resident evil village on this list unfortunately Um, i'm surprised at how much it's cropped up seeing as how after it released i feel like i just didn't hear anything about it really you know (laughs) it's it's interesting uh, at the site our, our team is kind of all on the same page about Village, that it's like, yeah. it was good, it was fun, and it was forgettable, and not even the best Resident Evil game. Yep. I think I had more fun talking about that game before it came out than I did actually playing it. Me too. But, but I know a lot of people that this is their game of the year, and I see it on Twitter all the time. This is in people's top five. This is their number one all the time. Yeah. Oh, I, didn't get I it. don't know. It's one of those weird things that it's saying, isn't it? I don't any. I don't say as against Resident Evil, but we've got a lot of big Resident Evil fans. Yeah, we just all seem to agree that Village isn't that great, mm-hmm. and yeah. a lot of people disagree with us. It's just it's just one of those things. Yeah, a lot. I think a lot of us love certain games that we nominate for things that the general populace maybe aren't as hot on. Like for sure, because I think Village had the potential to be much stronger than it was. Yeah, I feel Seven's better in every I regard. Agree. Every regard. Yeah, this is the action adventure category has some good action some good adventure and some good action adventure <laughs> which is um, weird because there's an action category and there's also but not an adventure category <laughs> no <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah so our action game nominees are back for blood chivalry 2 death loop far cry 6 and returnal uh kind of weird that like there's like obviously there's, there's some so crossover different. Yeah, they're all very different. Far Cry Six 
is an action but not an action adventure like yeah it's an unusual decision. i mean far, yeah. far cry you pick your guns you pick your armor they all kind of level up you have to choose which encampment to attack it's an rpg it's a modern rpg yeah i don't know what action game even means to be honest See, this <laughs> is what i said before i think persona 5 strikers is a muso game where all you really do is punch things over and over and over and over, and over again yeah it's kind of an action game but it's not there so what do i yeah have? action i think hack and slash for yeah action, right and i, I feel like returnal is basically what if hack and slash was a gun that's the best way I can describe what the hell you're doing. So I don't for really sure. mind that being there. Yeah. And Back for Blood is what Fine. if a hack and slash was zombies? Yeah, I've got no no <laughs> issues about I don't really like Back for Blood as a game, but I, I think it fits the yeah. category. Well, yeah, Chivalry 2 is just what if a hack and slash. Mm. Yeah. What, what if Left 4 Dead but worse is what Back for Blood is. <laughs> <laughs> He's mostly right. Uh, best ar vr game it's interesting that we always call this the ar vr category when it's only vr Mm -hmm. like we have not crested into ar games i can't remember an ar game that was ever nominated for this and yet pokemon go nominated that would be the thing that would be the one that would be i guess it would be if it was yeah Yeah. i can't say uh but our nominees for ar and vr are hitman 3 Uh, I Expect You to Die 2, the, the Spy and the Liar, which I reviewed. Lone Echo 2, which was the final PC VR exclusive game uh, that will will ever be made. Resident Evil 4 VR, which is very new, and Sniper Elite VR. Anybody besides me play these games? Me? Me? Jade? I played <laughs> Hitman, Resi, and Sniper Elite. Wait, and the first Lone Echo. I haven't played the second one. I lied earlier. Gotcha. Um, Resident Evil 4 is incredible. It is pretty good. Best debut indie game. We've got Cana Bridge of Spirits, Sable, The Artful Escape, The Forgotten City, and Valheim. The Artful Escape is one of my favorite games of the year. Um, it's very even from even from the opening like i don't think everyone agrees with me on that but i'm surprised that it's not being mentioned very much i think this is the most competitive category on the list it's the most interesting as well i don't i I feel like i'm not that bothered what wins game of the year but i'm I'm quite interested to see who wins this one when i look at this category this is the award show i would like to see like spread these games out for every category you know (laughs) um because, yeah, Valheim, it was a sensation. It, like, broke Steam records when it came out. Amazing game. Forgotten City's my game of the year. Um, spoilers. Art, Artful Escape, huge. Sable, people are kind of mixed on. And then Kana has some hardcore fans. Yeah. There are, there's a lot of people, I think. I think probably more so in the general gaming populace than critics who really like Kena and who think it's a a big game of the year contender. I think it's a bit too derivative to be that, but yeah. I don't know. Pe- people who play a lot of games and enjoy games, I think critics can sometimes be a bit kind of snobby and go, oh, well, you don't really appreciate the art of games. Right. And a lot of those people, a lot of the people who just like playing games and have fun with them, the people who liked Ghost of Shima last year, they really like Canterbury Spirits. Yeah. yeah. It's that kind of game. It's a video yeah. game-ass video game, but like obviously people really love that. Yeah, and it's it's fun. Like that's it's fun. That's it's beautiful. Very good looking. The kids are yeah. annoying and creepy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um. Great. Great category. 
Hard to pick one there. Best community support. Apex Legends, Destiny 2, Final Fantasy 14, Fortnite, and No Man's Sky. The usual suspects. Yeah. Um, I it's what stands out to me here is that there's nothing new. These are like deep legacy games at this point. Like nothing on this list is newer than I guess Apex is the newest one, and that's still four years old. Jesus Christ. Jesus. Mm. God, is it four? Might be three. Oh. No, I think it is. I think it is. 2017 Apex, isn't it? Yeah. Christ. Oh, really sure. I, remember, yeah. I remember playing Apex when it was new. That's made me Same. Cool. Yeah. So. Oh, I'll so uni. <laughs> yeah. Like what's uh, like, there's nothing newer oh, that could 2019. be 2019. God, I'm an idiot. Oh, 19. So three years. Okay. Okay. Fine. Cyber leave. Three years. Um, Slight. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. Maybe that's just the kind of category where it takes a long time for a game to start. Mm. You feel like if Genshin had done more, Genshin is the kind of game that could have brought into this. Yeah. Yeah, but I think the community despises... That's the thing. They just keep tripping over themselves. Like, Didn't they just promote and then cancel an NFT project? Oh, did they? I'm not. I would be surprised. They did the thing where it was like, if Elon Musk follows us, (laughs) right? We're gonna invite him to come play the game. Oh, the fucking Elon Musk campaign! I remember. Oh my god. Destiny's giving you like daily updates on every little inch of the game, and you've got the Final Fantasy people like going on television in floods of tears because the game's been delayed by a day, and Genshin are pissing about Elon Musk. (laughs) Yeah. That's why it's not nominated. Gacha games are the bane of existence. Uh, speaking of gacha games, best mobile game, our options are Fantasian, Genshin Impact, League of Legends Wild Rift, Marvel Future Revolution, and Pokemon Unite. Uh, now, four of those came out this year. Did Genshin, Genshin did not come out this year. No, Genshin's 2020. It was up right. for this last year. Right, right, right. But the other four are all games that came out this year, uh, which yes. is very, very cool to see. Wild Rift is uh, fantastic. Pokemon Unite is also fantastic um i detest future revolution i know that it was popular when it came out but it is one of those autoplay massive loot box thing like it's it does every predatory trick in the book to uh to trap you in that skinner box um and then what's fantasian i don't know this one it's the final fantasy thing isn't it like the the diorama real life it's it's by who made a lot of the original fun fantasy games it's by his studio which i think is located in hawaii it, it's okay. on apple arcade for the most part but it's a really wonderful little rpg but I, it's not on consoles so i don't think a lot of people have dabbled in it mm. cool best independent game death store Cana bridge of spirits inscription loop hero in 12 minutes like we mentioned at the start, I think there's better games in the debut category than there is in this category. I think the two best indie yeah. games of the year were were debut games. And right. I I didn't like Sybil, but I have a lot of time for it. Because I think it tries to do different things. It just didn't really click with me. Um, yeah, how are Artful Escape and Forgotten City not in the best? I would say, even though I love Forgotten City, especially Artful, because it's in other categories. Yeah. I don't know. So it's a surprise. It's a big, big surprise to me. It's got Annapurna behind it, like twelve minutes does. It's on Game Pass, like twelve minutes is. It came up with a lot of time to spare, like twelve minutes did. It. I don't know. It surprised me. It's not it. Yeah, and also like the Annapurna game with the three A-list Hollywood actors in it. 
in the independent game category. Like, <laughs> yeah, really? Yeah. Like, forget that it's one of the worst games ever made. Like, couldn't we get a little more independent with our independent game category? I, than I that? will. I will say, um, Mark Strong, Carl Weathers, and Lena Headey are all in the Outlaws game. <laughs> 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 so, right. I don't think that's the best comparison for twelve minutes. Yeah. I feel like Annapurna is kind of the A24 of video games. Like 100%. They're still touting themselves as indie productions, but really they're they're just they're just not Hollywood. They're just not as Hollywood. I don't know what the, the they're just not is in games. Yeah, that the AAA indie division is just not a good way to break down the two kinds of games. You just can't yeah. draw a line like that, right? Like, yeah. no, Annapurna games are not AAA you know, third-person open-world action adventures. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yet. Yet. Games for Impact, which is kind of a... Uh, the only category here that's not exactly self-descriptive, right? Get These are supposed to... In this one. <laughs> God damn it, <laughs> <laughs> uh, These are supposed to be... I, I forget the exact description. These are like the thought-provoking themes, the the conversation starter games, right? That's the yeah, idea. Yeah, I'll, I'll get the thing up as for for what it so is. I'll check a full, on a thought-provoking game with a pro-social meaning or message. It's as opposed to an anti-social game like League of Legends. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> our options here are before your eyes. Um, let's just explain what these are because maybe people won't yeah, actually be that familiar with these. Yeah, before your eyes is a really really cool game. Um, it's basically a narrative adventure that you play with a webcam. And other things as well. Like you play with you play with a webcam, and every time you blink, it kind of shoots forward. So if you want to keep watching, you have to force yourself not to blink. And it's all about like the loss of memories. And I won't go into the whole thing because I, I don't mm. really want to spoil how that mechanic's used. Um, but it, it's harder than the, than you think because you're playing it. You're like, oh, this is a really good scene. And you blink, and then it goes, and like you've missed it. That's it's cool. like you're watching a film, and someone just changes it. Like someone flicks a channel, and you can't get it back. That's oh, really interesting. It's a really cool way of doing game direction. It's not for game direction um, because a platformer that's got some funny colors, George, uh. is instead. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's before your eyes. Yeah, yeah that's before your eyes. Uh, Boyfriend Dungeon, is he? Yes. <clears throat> Love Boyfriend Dungeon. Boyfriend Dungeon is a game where you play as uh, a kind of uh, I guess slightly nervous single person uh, going on a journey of self-discovery and fighting your own fears, wielding sexy people who turn into sexy deadly weapons to do so. And it opened up a big old can of worms uh, regarding consent. The, yeah, the game's actual story is a lot to do with consent and I think is one of the, the best um, explorations of consent I've ever seen in a video game. Um, but it it just all got a bit strange on online with people talking about the game violating their consent, right? By having some yeah. uncomfortable stuff in it, and it's like you don't have to play the game. <laughs> that was just weird. We we talked about the boyfriend dungeon discourse at length back yes. in episode three yeah. in August. Um, yeah, chicory, a colorful tale, which we actually haven't talked about on the show. I don't think, Stacey. Yeah, I'll, I'll Chicory would also going to be in there. And when we do our top 10 lists on the site, Chicory's definitely going to be in there for me. I loved Chicory. 
Shigiri is a game where um, you play as a dog. That is, it's like a world full of animals. You're basically a janitor to the world's best painter. And this pa- person isn't just good at painting. They literally paint color into the world. Like the reason the world has colors because this person goes and does it. They're called the, the, the wielder. They wield the paintbrush. And you're just kind of their cleaner. You admire them, but you haven't really got any you know, talent or skill. or You're not really worth anything in life. And then one day the color all goes. And it's up to you to get it back. And it kind of deals with two different versions of imposter syndrome. Because the actual wielder quits. Not because they don't think they're good enough anymore, but because they're sick of being so good at things. And it's done it much better than I've made it sound. Mm-hmm. But basically, they know they're talented. You know, they, they know that they offer a lot of value to the, to the world. Um, and they're sick of being defined by this thing that makes them great because it means that they have no freedom for expression. So they get very depressed, the kind of the, the weight of genius. And all of the boss battles are against versions of depression that you just have to paint away you don't really beat them you just have to paint on them um and as you walk around the world you color in things so you can like make a little breadcrumb trail of paint for you and obviously along the way kind of chicory learn the main character sorry kind of learns that um they are with me you know they've been doing it they don't they don't have this special gift talent they they aren't the greatest painter of all time but they still matter they can still help people they're still worth something they don't need to be told or pass any trials that they are this genius they just mm. need to be there and that's all that matters i bought this one i'm gonna play this one before we get to the year because i think we're gonna talk about it a lot for our yeah. uh like our big game of the year yeah show so if you want to get ahead of it definitely check this one out um this one probably everyone knows life is strange <clears throat> true colors yep we've covered this we covered this twice on the podcast already back in uh september episode five so if you want to hear a big discussion of that, but we're going to talk about it again at the end of the year. And then No Longer Home, what is this one? Um, it's basically unpacking with more depression. Yes. <laughs> cool. <laughs> it's on Game Pass. <laughs> All the depressing games are. I'm not sure. Is it, is it, are you telling us it's on Game Pass? Are you asking? I don't I'm know. I'm asking. I'm asking. I don't um, know. I okay, played on Steam, so no idea. I'm going to speed up a little bit. There's a lot of categories left. Uh, innovation and accessibility, and accessibility, we do not vote on. There's a accessibility panel for that. But yeah. I just want to mention that uh, the nominees here are Far Cry 6, Forza Horizon 5, Guardians of the Galaxy, Ratchet and Clank Rift Apart, and The Veil, Shadow of the Crown, which uh, I reviewed and talked about on the show. That's the audio-only uh, first-person RPG. Ooh. Very cool game. Uh, a lot of stuff here that's like taking accessibility forward uh, by leaps and bounds. So I'm very happy to see that. Uh, best audio design, Deathloop, Forza again. Forza pops up more than I remembered. Ratchet and Clank Rift Apart, Resident Evil Village, and Returnal. At this point, we just like say the same five AAA games over and over. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We occasionally uh, replace Forza with like Psychonauts or Dread. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, okay, best score and music: Cyberpunk, Deathloop, Near Replicant. What if I just said all the numbers right now? For a second, I thought I should. <laughs> uh, Marvel's Guardian of the Galaxy and Artful Escape. Um, I we're all pretty happy. Artful Escape made it to that list. Yep, I'm surprised Sable's not there. Mm. Best art direction is Deathloop, Kana, Bridge of Spirits, Psychonauts Two, yeah. Ratchet and Clank Rift Apart, and Artful Escape again. Um, 
all super visually distinct games. I think maybe that's a really hard one to split. Without, yeah. I know, we're, I know, we're trying to speed up, but I think this will be interesting for listeners because this is the category that we had the most debate over, both in terms of nominating our final five and in terms of voting for our actual pick. Yeah. So, yeah, a lot of really interesting arty games this year. I haven't been that impressed with the games that year compared to the Slate for Game of the Year, say last year or 2017 when that was a huge year, but Art Direction, very, very good year. Yep. For sure. Uh, best ongoing game is Apex Legends, Call of Duty Warzone, Final Fantasy fourteen, Genshin Impact, and Fortnite. I uh, will be forever bitter anytime Destiny doesn't land here uh, <laughs> because it is the best ongoing game. Um, I'm surprised it's not there. Yeah. Yeah, same actually. Especially after being in community support, I don't know how you can look at the updates soon and go, yeah, the updates are great, but the game itself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's um, like, oh, well, the devs are really trying, you know? <laughs> I know I kind of say this every year, but next year's expansion, uh, Witch Queen. It was Witch Queen, suppo- that is the big one, isn't it? Yeah, it is the big one for sure. And it was supposed to be this year, got delayed out till next year. That if Had that come out in September, I'm sure this would have landed on the best ongoing game, but... Destiny's a little bit out of the conversation right now just because it's on a almost like a hiatus uh, mm-hmm. until Witch Queen. So mm-hmm. there's that. Uh, best multiplayer game, Back for Blood, Knockout City. Yes, yes. I'm surprised to see Knockout City on here, but I'm happy it is. Mm-hmm. It Takes Two, Monster Hunter Rise, New World, and Valheim. Genuinely shocked New World is on there. Yeah. Speaking of like new games that could end up on those like best ongoing and best community support. I don't know if New World's going to be one of them, but no, <laughs> could be. Well, I think in the same way that Forza lost out because it came out so close to the deadline, I think New World was, all of New World's bugs and stuff kind of hit as votes were being discussed. So it's possible <laughs> yeah. that sites who, you know, organized and voted early, voted before some of the worst parts of New World's um, economy started breaking. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, best performance, we have Erica Mori, who played Alex Chen in Life is Strange True Colors, Giancarlo Esposito, who played Anton Castillo in Far Cry 6, Jason Kelly, who played Colt Vaughn in Deathloop, Maggie Robertson, who played Lady Dimitrescu, I don't think that's right, in Resident Evil Village, Village. and I'm also going to get this wrong, I'm so sorry to this actress, Ozioma Akaga, who plays Juliana Blake in Deathloop. Let's say I was close, and we'll just move on. Um, <laughs> honestly, we we talked about this in our deliberation, but having two, having both leads from Deathloop really splits that category for Deathloop. Split splits the votes, I imagine. Mm, um, I agree. But but five really strong performances. At yeah. The very least. Um, I, I said at the start, I was surprised Keanu Reeves wasn't there, just because yeah. I think it's Keanu Reeves. People like him. Cyberpunk was nominated in other categories, but um, I don't think you can argue any of the five of them being there. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, best narrative. Deathloop, It Takes Two, Life is Strange, True Colors, Marvel's Guardians of the Galaxy, and Psychonauts 2. I think this is one where some of these stand out a lot more than the others, huh? Mm-hmm. Well, mm-hmm. We can leave it at that. Best game direction. <laughs> uh... <laughs> Deathloop, Sorry. it takes to Returnal, 
Psychonauts 2, Ratchet and Clank Rift Apart. Honestly, I'm like getting fatigued now just seeing the same games over and yeah. over, you know? Uh, and then our six Game of the Year nominees are Deathloop, It Takes Two, Metroid Dread, Psychonauts 2, Ratchet and Clank Rift Apart, and Resident Evil Village. Um, this is one of those times where there's like a game I don't think should even be nominated for Game of the Year. Like, there's things I think should have made it here, but I don't think Resident Evil is Resident Evil Village is in the same league as the rest no, of those games. I agree. But I think that we're I think that I'm uh, maybe kind of alone in that in the grand scheme of gamers. Yeah, I am. I would agree. I I am. I don't think there's anything that I'm looking at and thinking that, that really deserves to be for Game of the Year, though. I agree that I think Resident Evil is a, a bar below the games here, but I'm not looking at anything else that's come out of the year and gone. It's a disgrace. It's a disgrace <laughs> to the industry that <laughs> this sure. game isn't there. Like, I, just, I don't think there's been any big snub. We have failed as jurors. To yep, yeah. it's just it. six high-budget games... I think that some of those debut and some of those indie games deserve to be in the game of the year category. We can't let if I was picking my top six games of the year, which I know is not technically what this is because it's aggregated across different sites and everyone has different opinions, but I would have certainly Artful Escape and Forgotten City in there. Mm -hmm. Maybe even Chickory. And I, in terms of big budget games, I have Life is Strange there. So my top six picks, which again were not whether site nominated necessarily, but my top six picks would be very different from this. So I feel kind of apathetic to this. Whereas in 2020, right. they I mean, they were the best games of the year last year. I don't think there's any debate whether you like them or not. You know, The yeah. Last of Us, Final Fantasy, Ghost of Tsushima, Hades, Animal Crossing. Yeah. And I guess Doom was kind of, oh, okay, you can be here as well. <laughs> you know, the, the five last year, they were big, big games. It's pretty weird that Hitman 3 is not in the game of the year list. Came out a bit too early, I think. Yeah. But I. But so I, did Village. Village was around the same time. Maybe it was a month apart. I feel like Village was a few months. What I'm based on is I wasn't at the site when Hitman came out, and I was when Village came out, so it was at least a couple mm. of months later. Yeah. I think it was yeah. January and then May. That's quite a, May. That's quite a big. Oh, yeah, because Jade was here, actually. Not just I. Jade yeah, reviewed Village. So it, was the, oh, okay. it came out after Jade one. joined the site. Mm. Uh, there's a couple of games from this year that aren't on the list at all that I want to call out i think that sure. um lemnus gate it was b belongs in the best multiplayer category at least as a nominee same strategy as well surely yep yep i would I put in strategy well. as well um this might have missed the cutoff because it just came out uh but jurassic world evolution 2 should have been strategy yeah if it missed the cutoff it, it ought to be next year it's a it's an excellent uh, it, it did not miss the cutoff Oh, okay. <laughs> I don't know if I can, I don't know if I can read what cut off is. I kind of really didn't miss it. That's a that's a huge miss, I think, um, for Sim Strategy. Uh, and then for debut and in indie, uh, Industria, which I talked about maybe last week or the week before, but it is a um, it it is Half Life Bioshock kind of matchup first person shooter narrative, really cool game, uh, really short game. It's only like four hours long. Um, I think that's probably it. I, I might've put Phantom Abyss in Indie 2. I think that game is pretty exceptional or even possibly multiplayer. Um, anything else I got left out? It nope. surprises me if I was looking at good games this year. Persona 5 Strikers, Lost Judgment, House of Ashes, and Neo The World Ends With You. I don't necessarily know what kind of game to yeah. put them in, 
but they are all games that I've enjoyed a lot this year. And considering it's not the best slate, I keep comparing it to 2020 and 2017, but like that was a year when video games came out and so was this. Oh, I think some people are probably going to be bummed out that Ghost Runner didn't get nominated for anything. Ghost Runner was good. I think there's was a Ghost, Ghost Runner not was Ghost Runner not late last year though? Did it not miss out last year? Unless I'm thinking of the wrong game. Uh, maybe this is one of those where the ports were like later, like the. Oh, uh, maybe, maybe, maybe. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, we are coming up on an hour, so I think we're going to move on. Uh, stick around, Jade. Well, whoever wants to talk about Halo Infinite, we'll be right back. Welcome back. Halo week, Halo month starts is, now. Yeah. We've got our Halo campaign preview this week. That's what we're going to talk about now. Next week, we're going to talk about the multiplayer, which just, hey, surprise, multiplayer's out. And then the week after that, we'll have our like full review. So you're going to get a little... A little Halo taste every week. How fun is that? A triple nugget of Halo. That's not that's not the right impression. But <laughs> uh, our Halo reviewer Jade King can talk to us about basically the first four-ish hours of the game. Is that right? Yes, it like the first four standalone missions, and then a bunch of open world and story stuff. I'm allowed to talk about. Okay, cool. Um, Halo us. Regalus with Halo. Right. I'm going to start from the very beginning because obviously Halo Infinite's been in development for, I think Guardians came out of this six years ago, which is, yeah. which is disgustingly long. So a lot of people were wondering, is this a sequel? Is this Halo 6? And I describe it as both a sequel and a soft reboot to the franchise. Interesting. Because the, the opening, the opening cutscene is essentially... Master Chief is getting his ass beat by Atriox, who's the leader of the Banished from Halo Wars 2. So that, that crosses over into this. And it essentially, the opening is Master Chief getting getting the shit beaten out of him, really. And then he's dropped out of the Pillar of Autumn as it's exploding. So humanity has lost this war. And the opening cutscene is, do you remember that E3 trailer from two years ago when he meets the pilot? Yeah. That's the opening of the game. Like Okay. He, he finds you in space and he's like, oh my God. And you essentially do a tutorial and then he immediately, then Master Chief immediately goes, we need to finish the fight because that's what I've been indoctrinated to do. So you go down onto Halo and then the opening mission is essentially you discovering a small part of the open world, which I'll get onto later. And then you meet a new artificial intelligence program called The Weapon, who is essentially a clone of Cortana, but she's been designed to wipe out what Cortana did in Halo 5, which is wanting to activate the Halo rings and destroy the universe. So this this AI essentially was designed to copy Cortana's programming, delete everything she did, delete Cortana, and then delete herself. But Master Chief finds her and he's like, oh, I'm not going to delete you. Like, we can be mates. And I think the story does some really fascinating stuff because it's oddly intimate in the way it plays out. Okay. First question. I think a lot of people are imagining that big gameplay reveal yeah. last year when the game was still meant to come out last year. Um, and then it, it quickly got delayed. So with, with that little gameplay segment 
in mind. You know, the one I'm talking about when they revealed the yes, grappling the hook. 10 and, minute one. Yeah. 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 I, how does what you actually played compare to that gameplay reveal we saw last year? It's in terms of like mechanics, it's exactly like that, but uh-huh. improved, I think. Because you do, you do play that exact section. It, it's, yeah. it's about four hours into the campaign or so when you take out the AA guns, but things are laid out in a similar way. And gunplay is very much the best Halo has ever felt, I think, personally. Wow. It, it feels like the the world design and the level design is classic combat evolved. The three, four, three have introduced a lot of clever changes, like the sprint and the jump and the movement speed feels amazing and the grappling hook is incredible like it it's got it's more multifaceted than i expected and you just end up using it supernaturally no supernaturally not like ghosts but i just every time i saw an enemy i'd grapple towards him and just punch him in the face like within seconds or your there's always flammable barrels which have different abilities like they'll shock enemies or they'll stun them and you'll you'll grab those, throw them, or you'll grab an you'll grab a weapon that you see off an enemy or off the floor, and it, it's incredibly dynamic, and it reflects that gameplay demo in a lot of positive ways. I think mm. I do feel but, like, but looks is, better. Yeah, I think it, it's not the best looking game in the world. I don't think, mm. but I think it's also been designed to run on the Xbox One all the way to the Series X. Right. But I think in terms of art design, it looks quite stunning. Zeta Halo, the I suppose I'll touch on the open world now, but don't go into this expecting an open world on the scale of Ubisoft or anything. I feel mm. like 343 has been subdued in a positive way because it knows that Halo and the, f- the stories it wants to tell would not work in a sprawling open world where the story is really drawn out. It's essentially the world you explore is a part of the Halo that has been destroyed, so it's separated from the rest of the ring. And it's essentially like a miniature open world. And a lot of the story missions, the contained linear missions, will take place underground in the Forerunner ruins. And they'll you'll gradually discover more of this open world as you progress through the campaign. And there are essentially like forward operating bases, outposts, and like items to discover throughout the open world. But they don't feel like there's too many of them. It feels like there's just enough to work alongside the campaign. And I can't say how long the campaign is yet, but... I feel like they they strike a really good balance. So when you say items, are those like collectible and lore stuff, or is that actually usable? So it's it's a mixture of both. You'll find mm. audio logs relating to both the banished and the UNSC, and from what I've seen thus far, they essentially detail the events that led up to you losing the war. Because six mm. months have passed since the end of Halo Five, where you've lost the war, humanity's kind of dead in the water again, essentially, and there's no way of getting home. So you 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 hear audio logs. Like Chief is on a lot of them, and like Lasky from Halo Four and Five, who I can only assume is dead. But I don't know what happened to him. And like, uh, what's their name? Halsey, the head of the Spartan program. You'll hear stuff from them and stuff from the Banished, where they're just talking a bunch of poetic war bullshit and how they're going to win. And the other items in the open world are spartan points which can contribute to your upgrades you can level up certain abilities and then there's what else is there oh yeah what are the ability sorry there's bounties you can hunt down and they all have like unique weapons and stuff sorry carry on what are the abilities you can upgrade because i i can't imagine an open world game without a lot of progression 
Yeah, so I don't think the progression is super essential, but it feels mm. somewhat gradual. Like, you can upgrade the grappling hook, so when you hook onto an enemy, it will shock them, so they can't move and you can go straight in for a melee attack. Or the cooldown on the grappling hook will essentially be only a couple of seconds, so you can you can chain it together to climb cliffs, essentially, mm. which is really cool. And then some of the other abilities are, you, it's a tracker that shows silhouettes of all the enemies around you, or what's that? Uh, or like essentially a bubble shield, but it like goes straight in front of you. There's a few small abilities, but to be perfectly honest, I use the grappling hook and nothing else. Mm. Yeah, that's a, in multiplayer. That's all I'm looking for most of the time. Yeah, in, I'm anyway. like, I don't care about going invisible. Like, just give me the grappling hook so I can do cool shit. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess Halo is a lot like Call of Duty in the sense that like people are getting it to play the multiplayer. Yeah. Like, I, I, obviously, people really love the Halo story. Maybe less so than they used to. Um, but. It is the now that the campaign is separate from the multiplayer, like the multiplayer is like, you know, free to play. It's already out. And then the campaign is a full $60 release just for that. Do you think that like people should go out of their way to, to play the campaign based on what you've played now? Or is like the multiplayer still like the main draw here? I'll preface this by saying it's on game pass. So that that's very much the it way is on game play pass. this, I think. Uh-huh. And yeah, and I can't say how long the campaign is, so I have to like wiggle around this. But as someone who has always come to Halo for the campaigns, and mm. personally thought the storytelling they did in four and five was stronger than the original trilogy. Oh, is that controversial? Maybe I don't know. I felt okay. like three, four, three took advantage of the lore a lot more, whereas oh. Bungie kind of put it into a bunch of books that nobody wanted to read. <laughs> I read the first one. <laughs> I, I read Ghosts of Onyx. I can't remember what it was called, but I read that one. <laughs> But I think, without being hyperbolic, I think the storytelling in this is quite wonderful. Oh wow! Okay. In a in a way that you wouldn't expect from a blockbuster shooter like this, because really there are only three major characters in the entire game. So there's Master Chief, the weapon who is the new AI, and the pilot who's the dude from the trailer. Mm. Mm-hmm. And there's villains, obviously, and they play a big part. But a lot of the cutscenes are framed in a in an oddly like claustrophobic way. So Master Chief is always framed to be this this monolithic giant. Like he's always looks huge in frame. He's made to look huge and he's always got the AI in his hand and the camera has a habit of panning round scenes in a circular motion to reveal things. And the way it does the story is quite quite special because Master Chief just looks tired. He's like I need to fight another war. I failed. You're too to... old for this shit. Yeah, he's too old for this shit. <laughs> but the the core mantra of the story is very much: I failed to save Cortana. I failed to save humanity. There's no way to get home. So I guess I just keep fighting. And the game kind of explores the consequences of that. And him mourning the loss of Cortana finally, instead of the game bringing her back to justify the plot, because mm-hmm. this this new AI is she's she's a really lovely character because she's essentially cortana in a lot of ways but she doesn't have any of the baggage so she's quite Hmm. gleeful bubbly and makes a lot of silly jokes and she doesn't really understand what brought humanity here she's just an ai who's like oh i need to help chief and then she learns a lot about him she learns like what he's been through and i think chief talks more in this one than he's talked in any of the other halo games 
Mm. But he's still like super subdued and like he only talks when he needs to. And when there's those small moments of emotional vulnerability, they're quite lovely. Like I didn't expect a game like this to, I don't know, not rely on its storytelling so much, but make it such a core focus. It feels like that's the journey you're on and none of the open world stuff dilutes it, which is quite impressive given most open world games, a story like this will just lose you halfway through, like Far Cry does every time. Wow, I didn't expect that either. Um, Does the the open world really feel justified or is it just a way to connect campaign missions together? I don't know. I think it's partially because the preview build I'm playing doesn't have achievements, so I'm okay. I'm not especially enamored to go out and do my own thing. But as I said previously, the open world isn't huge by any stretch of the imagination. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot of variety there in the way the campaign missions are designed and the activities in the world, essentially. Like, it doesn't feel like busy work. Whenever you stumble across something in the open world and you're going to another campaign mission, it's kind of like, well, I might as well look around here of my own accord and see if there's anything cool. But as I, as to whether or not it's justified in a Halo game, it's hard to tell. Part of me thinks that the environment is relatively small, small and curated. So when they start doing more campaigns in the future and they expand upon that, they'll be able to just introduce environments or do more missions in this environment, much like you're doing an Apex map or something like that. Because that feels right. like what they're doing. Because all of the campaign missions being instance and underground means they likely designed that separately from the open world. But it fits way better than I thought it would because I was scared about Halo going open world. Mm -hmm. But the gameplay feels just as good, if not better than it ever has. And the story is really strong because there's no, well, at least not yet. I don't know what they'll do in the future. There's no big galactic threat. It's just Master Chief going, oh, I can't be bothered anymore. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Which is kind of funny uh is there anything in those first four hours we haven't already seen from like previews and stuff any like tools abilities Uh, monsters whatever good question no not none none of the there's some enemies i can't talk about yet okay but in terms of like the cutscenes and a lot of the story stuff a lot of the stuff explored in those opening four hours has been teased somewhat right whether it be like taking out the like, I think the that first mission where you take out the AA guns is in the first four hours, but it's it it plays out in a somewhat different way, which is kind of cool. Oh, there is one moment in the first couple of hours, I think, that is just fucking badass. Like it's classic Halo. Like you get to the top of this giant tower and you push a button, or Cortana is hacking in, and she goes, "Oh, it's going to self destruct. We're fucked. Like there's no way out." And then Master Chief is like. I need extraction. And the pelican pelican man's like, wait, you're at the top of this thing. I can't pick you up. And then Master Chief just jumps out. Like, he doesn't mm. give a fuck. He just leaps out of the building. I'll send you the video after this podcast. But like, the, the music swells. The pelican goes into a nosedive and he just jumps into it. And it's, it's pretty badass. Like, as I said, the campaign is quite subdued, but there's still those classic moments that make you think, oh, yeah. like, this is why people love Master Chief and why people love these games yeah cool okay that's a really great teaser uh like i said next week we'll have the whole gang in to talk about multiplayer because we've all been playing a ton of it which is also very good yeah oh it's very good the battle pass is not good but we'll get into that it's not no 
Um, and then in December, once everybody's had a chance to play the campaign, we'll all come give our full thoughts. Thanks, Jade. You're very welcome. Uh, stick around because I played Dying Light 2 and we're going to talk about it. I got on an airplane and I went to another city to play a video game. Lucky. The City of Angels? No, I'm no, I'm in the City of Angels, Jade. I went to another one. Oh, you live in LA. Cool. The City by the Bay. San Francisco? That's the one. Yes. Uh, this is something that I used to do uh, often, and then there was like some kind of a, a virus. There was some kind of a cootie going around. <laughs> Everybody got the cooties. Um, but then I got to go again, and, and it was great. I got to go play a video game, a new one with other video game people. You've probably heard of it. It's called Dying Light 2. Uh, give me your like one, two sentence impression of Dying Light, both of you. Jade, what, what do you think? What Dead Island should have been. Mm. Mm. George? Second best zombie game to Dead Rising. Dead Rising? Oh, I fucking okay. love Dead Rising. Um, I, this, Dying Light came out in 2015 from the team that made Dead Island. Yes. And then there's a lot of publisher drama, blah, blah, blah. There's a lot of publisher drama with Dying Light too. But <laughs> anyway, uh, uh, great open world game. Maybe my favorite open world game after like Arkham, Arkham City, I, oh, okay. I think. Um, Valid. Because of the, the, the traversal, the, like, the, the marriage of combat and parkour it's just so it's so cool it's so much fun to run around in and swing and jump and you know and and smash zombies in the face uh really cool game i did not play it uh when it came out but i played it much more recently and after all these years after these five six years development on this game never stopped they released another expansion less than a year ago they just kept dumping more and more content into this game. And then recently they released uh, the Platinum Edition, which, George, you played on Switch, right? Yes. Didn't you write about it for the site? Yes, yes, I did. Uh, very positive. They were one of the best Switch ports I've ever seen. You just, as soon as you load up that game, they're just like, here's 5,000 weapons. <laughs> Here, you know? Here, here's like hundreds of cosmetics, just like everything we've made for this game. So it's really cool to play Dying Light now with yeah. everything in it. Uh, and then Dying Light 2 got announced at E3 2018. And uh, they got up on stage, they showed a trailer, and they said, this one, this one, y'all, it's going to be Fallout Dying Light. We're doing non-linear narrative, branching paths. We That's got consequences <laughs> yeah your choices matter we got chris avalon <laughs> not anymore we, we don't <laughs> not we all know how that played out uh and it's coming out in 2019 uh and then it didn't and then they said it's coming out in 2020 and then it didn't and then there was a pandemic and then it was going to come out in like january and then it didn't and then uh, former bald boy Kirk McKean uh, did some digging, 
published a report on the site that there was a, a little bit of trouble behind the scenes. You could say things, things over at uh Techland, not going so great for the people that work there. Hmm. CEO kind of, uh, well, what's a fair way to describe it? Meddlesome dick bag. <laughs> <laughs> they're not yeah. gonna listen to this podcast <laughs> uh may, maybe there was some behind the scenes trouble and on top of that the the official narrative is that uh they built a new engine which they did dying light 2 is running on a new engine and that between the pandemic and designing this game in a brand new engine this is what caused the game to take so long to make um when I was invited to go play it, number one, I was surprised that they wanted us to play this game after the report we published about their studio. Uh, but number two, I after after learning all of that that behind the scenes stuff, I expected I did not expect much from Dying Light Two. And I guess the first thing I want to say is that this is a polished, functional video game. Thank God. Like I. I did not play beginning to end, obviously. I've I've played a total of four hours and got to see a few different uh, points in the game. I kind of like jumped around from like, this is four hours in, this is seven hours in or whatever. Mm. But I I am very confident that this is not going to be a cyberpunk situation. Mm -hmm. This was, the delays, whatever the cause may have been, this was not a development hell situation where the game that they have is undeliverable. I'm I'm like I'm very confident in reporting that Dying Light 2 is a real video game that you will be able to play hopefully February February 6th I think the beginning of February is when it's now scheduled to come out and I'm I'm pretty confident that's actually going to happen. So that's the first thing I'll say. The second thing I'll say is that Dying Light 2 is very different from the first one and maybe people expected that from um from talking to players like on subreddits and stuff a lot of people are did not expect it to be so different but it is it's really different um and i know that george you played it really recently yes and jade you've played it you've played it too Mm. um but what if i told you that um what if i uh where do i start what if i told you that dying light 2 has moon gravity i don't like that i saw this in footage it kind of tripped me out a little bit because it seems like you're floating like martyr chief in when you shouldn't be Mm. it is yes if you have played uh halo or destiny you now you don't have like triple jumps and jetpacks and stuff you kind of float in the air and go Uh... you can't you jump very high you jump way higher than realistic but higher than even you feel like you should be able to in a video game I hate that. And you fall, you fall so slow that when you take fall damage, you're like, that doesn't seem like that should have hurt. <laughs> I just floated to the ground. <laughs> like it is so different from the first one. And I asked them, why would you do this? <laughs> what have you done? <laughs> In different words, I, I was like, how could you have done that? Uh, and the answer is because it's easier now. Because now it's a it's a bit more forgiving, and and from there I asked a lot of questions about like, hey, this is really different from the first game. Hey, this isn't how it was in Dying Light. And the answer yeah. almost every time was, well, this makes the game easier. This makes the game more approachable 
for people. Oh, people, uh, people that played the first one and bounced off or like people that didn't like the first one, they complained about this. So mm. we changed it to make it. And to me, like now this is a narrative I'm making in my head, but to me, 10 million people bought Dying Light. It was like a massive success that nobody really expected, mm-hmm. I think. And yeah. instead of serving those players, those like dedicated hardcore Dying Light players, the aim here seems to be how can we get an even bigger audience? And from the short amount I've played, I think that some of these some of these choices are going to alienate the people that really love the first game. Okay, I have a question. Yeah. Tell me about the dropkick, Eric. I'm slapping my hand, my other hands, so you know I'm serious. Oh, no. Tell me about you're the dropkick. S- you're going to get me in trouble because I, I, ha- I declared something about the dropkick that other people are telling me is not true. So I don't know what to believe. But this is what I will tell you I know. Mm-hmm. The... The dropkick ability from the first one where you sprint, jump, and then kick and you do the dropkick, that has been replaced with a combo, a a combat combo where... So enemies have health bars and stagger bars now? Yeah, that's fine. It's it's very RPG. It's very Skyrim Fallout. So like a lot of the elements and like mechanics from like a first person RPG are here. So uh, like zombies have health bars and stagger bars now. So the drop kick is when you stagger an enemy, they keel over and then you jump over their back, launch yourself in the air and then drop kick another enemy. That's the drop kick. It's, it's, it's basically a jump and a kick. It's like, it's not, and, and when an enemy is staggered, the jump button is on, is presented on them, like in the UI, like you, mm. s- you see the jump button as a interact mm. and then you jump and then you kick. Now I, other people told me a- after I played, I was like, huh, that's weird. No normal drop kick. And then somebody else in my group was like, Hey, wasn't it weird that there was no drop kick? So I was like pretty confident that there wasn't. But since then, someone else has said that in the combat skill tree, there is the regular dropkick you can unlock. Okay. I don't know what to believe, mm. but so I may, yeah, that may have been a mistake that I made. The dropkick may be, the regular dropkick may be unlockable, but I did not see it. The other thing I did not see was the shin breaker. The yeah, I like shin breaker as well. See, the thing I is, I did not see the slide kick. For me, the dropkick. Obviously, I, I think Dying Light's fantastic as a whole. Anyway, the original, but the dropkick is like the epitome of it. Like it's so much fun. It, like it, it's not just like oh, this is fun to do, but it just shows how well the platforming combat mix that you feel confident to run up and jump stuff off a building. Like it, it nailed that so well. Yeah. Uh, so hearing that this moon gravity sort of game, uh. It makes me nervous, not only that it might not have the dropkick, but if it has a dropkick, uh, like, is it going to be as good considering you're, you're using your moon shoes? Like, I don't know. So, so the regular kick is stronger now. It's not just an interrupt. I think in the first game it was really used like, I'm out of stamina, I better start kicking. Yeah. <laughs> but but here you can, you can like punt dudes off the roof. It's not like a death loop, like super kick, which I was kind of hoping it would be. I love that. Uh, but the the kick is stronger, and I don't want to miscategorize the 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 parkour too much. It is very different, and to me, it felt bad. But there is intention in the design. The jump is like controllable; like you can short tap the jump and do a little hop, or you can hold it and do the the big 
job. Right. But the idea behind um, behind the parkour is that your ability to parkour is going to uh, is going to improve in actionable ways, meaning that the things you unlock are all like usable abilities. They're not, there's not really that many like uh, increased run speed 5% or like boost your health or whatever. Like all of the stuff you unlock is an actual new ability you'll be able to use when you're parkouring. So for instance, um, there's the long jump, which is when you vault over like something that's like waist high, mm. when you vault over it, you can increase your momentum either forward or up. Right. Um, there's also a slide jump, like an apex slide jump now. That's cool. Which kind of launches you when you slide. Yeah. Um, and then there's just a lot of stuff that increases. There, there's no more like sprint. Like you don't hold down the, the, you don't push the stick in to run. You're always running. There's no walk. That's cool. But, but you can unlock a dash, which is just a quick, like, uh, you know, dash forward. Okay. Okay. You speak my language a bit now. I got to say. But I, yeah, I, I so, will say this: so, as, I don't know if you feel the same way, Eric, but like as someone who's recently played it, uh, in my head I built it up that you are this killing parkour machine from the start. But you are not. In the first two hours of Dying Light, until you get a stamina upgrade, you can't do anything. Yeah, you are shit. Yeah. So I, I kind of, I can see yeah. the intention here again is probably that. But you're speaking my language a bit more now. Like you're saying this, and I'm like, okay, now I'm, now I'm keen. There are monkey bars to swing on. There are ropes, like Tarzan ropes, to swing on. There's a lot more ways to get around, and there's a lot more upgrades that help you get around. Uh, a lot of times you're like, so this is a pretty simple one, but like squeezing through a tight space. Yeah. You know, like uh, squeezing between two boards on a roof will like slow you down, but eventually you can get an upgrade where you push yourself through a tight space and you actually gain momentum when you hit that's pretty cool uh, a gap yeah so and then there's also like gaining momentum from a monkey bar so you actually get faster when you swing on something so it seems like the mastery is going to be there um but from the start like as soon as you like get control of the character and you start jumping across the roof immediately i was like oh this feels like shit like I'm <laughs> floating around like fucking luigi uh... like I have that sorted out. I was, I was overshooting jumps. You can jump off a building and turn the corner and land back on it, like real what? destiny platform. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm fu that has its place. That has its place, but not in not for me in Dying Light. One of the upgrades to the parkour is a literal uh, quick turn, like a Resident Evil quick turn where you can jump off a building, press the stick in and you'll flip 180 so that you can go back in a window in the same building. That's so stupid. That's, that's kind of cool. The, the way you described <laughs> it. Yeah. I, I yeah. kind of went to that <laughs> when it's done purposefully to be stupid. Like, uh, yeah, I can, yeah, I <sighs> keep going, keep going. So let me tell you, yeah, let me tell you what the, the other big, I think controversial change here is. Um, besides all the like RPG stuff, which I think some people are going to really dig and some people aren't, um, what, what I think is going to be extremely controversial is, is that night is no longer a like volatile stealth hide and seek thing. What is it now? So in the first game, uh, it's now 
an alternative to day. Oh, it's now Christ. a different setting than daytime. So, so in the first game, they show you in like the first mission, they put you out at night and it's like, hey, you're in big fucking trouble, bud. Yeah. You know, like it is a like run for your life. And the problem to Techland is that it was really scary. <laughs> people told them it was, people told them that it was, was real, scary. Real, real scary. <laughs> it was, so it was three things. It was too scary. It was too difficult. And it was not properly incentivized. What? So what they, okay. I can see the third point. I can't because you get double I, XP. I think, so, you get double XP, and I think at least in the following, in the expansion, there's actually shit you have to do at night. Like, clearing out the the hives yeah. is like a nighttime thing. But anyway, so they found that players were just skipping night. Like, if it was starting to get dark, they would just, like, sleep and make it daytime. And and that, to me, that was just, like, part of the gameplay loop. Like, you would skip night sometimes if you had shit to do, yeah. you know? Anyway... That is no longer what night is. Uh, it's a very different thing. So first of all, you have a immunity meter, which means anytime you're in the dark, you will start to lose immunity. And if you do not expose yourself to UV light in a certain amount of time, it starts out at 70 seconds before you upgrade it, you just die. So anytime you're indoors where, the, where you can't see the sunlight or when it's nighttime, you have to sort of um, leapfrog from UV light to UV light because there's no sunlight. I don't like or, that. Or you'll just die. So it's like, so like nighttime is always on a timer. That's the first thing. Um, the second thing is that it has a Grand Theft Auto wanted system. Like they call it the chase level instead of the wanted level. And um, every time that you get caught by uh they call them howlers they're kind of like the screamers from the first game but they're not children they're they're just like alarm zombies mm. if you get spotted by a howler it will start screaming and your chase level will increase and every time your chase level increase increases the uh the horde becomes like more aggressive and there's more zombies and if it gets all the way up that's when the volatiles show up yeah um... otherwise Otherwise, no volatiles. Right. So what you're describing, the idea of having to... So nighttime just sounds like the worst way to play. I know in you'd argue that for the original, so, but like that doesn't sound fun. So you have to play at night. So like all of the... Not all of. I, for, first of all, all of the indoor, like they call them dark hollows or like abandoned stores and stuff. During the day, they're just jam-packed with zombies just standing around in the dark just like uh, giant hordes standing there and those are where you find all of the good shit they're not like just in crates on rooftops anymore they're indoors they're like in shops and okay, yeah that's fine. so if you if you want to be able to get inside there you have to wait until night because that's when all the oh, zombies okay. go out into the streets so they hide away from the sun essentially that, that makes sense yeah sun. that makes sense yeah so that's one thing. The second thing is like a ton of the optional map, map markers, like the side quests and activities only happen at night. <sighs> so there's like these, there's like these mutated kind of like in the following, there's like these boss fights 
where you could go if you if you want to get one of the cool mod upgrades or whatever you can go fight this special zombie but they don't show up unless it's night and stuff like that yeah so when you're so when you're outside at nighttime you're always having to be in these light sources yeah so um the upgrade system for health and immunity is uh basically these cores you collect and every time you get two of them you can choose to put points into either health or immunity and by increasing your immunity you can be out in the dark longer but otherwise yes you have to you'll see them on your map and if you do your like your like survivor vision thing they'll pop up on the ui yeah. and they're just like little purple icons and then you go over to them and and there's just like purple uv lights and it, you just stand in the light for a second and it refills your immunity uh, i just i hate that sort of mechanic in a game where it's limiting how long you can do a thing also um any exposure to these like toxic chemicals will drop your immunity twice as fast so a lot of times when you're indoors it, you're already losing immunity but then if there's like a chemical spill in there or something you're losing double immunity so you really have to like speed through these buildings to find whatever you're looking for in there right uh there's also potions potions are like a big part of it like a lot of the stuff i'm gonna be like this is a big part of it but it's just like because it's rpg shit like if it, if there's an rpg thing you can think of it's probably in this game now um but crafting and consuming potions is a big part of it so you can drink potions to increase your immunity if you if it's going to run out and i was doing that constantly i was like crafting immunity potions and chugging them anytime i was in the dark mm. i guess that's another like layer to it i guess that is like, maybe maybe i'm just approaching it in the wrong way but you are right i didn't realize it changed so much that i'm sort of like oh some of it right. sounds really good like the parkour like moves they sound really really cool like i'm into that but everything else you mentioned so far is going to be a very it's going to be hit or miss i think I think so too. I think it's changed enough. I think a lot of people expect a sequel to just be like a more refined version of the original. Yeah. You know, like, like get rid of the things that were bad and focus on the things that were good. But Dying Light 2 is throwing out things that were good and bad. Yeah. You know? Yeah. <laughs> to to do something game, completely different. The first I want to talk so long ago as well. Do you think like it might have changed as a consequence of that? So I asked that, and they, uh, the the lead gameplay uh, designer, told me that they had a ba basically a um, showcase of what the plan was for Dying Light Two, using the engine and assets from the first game and making rough cutscenes with like just with the stuff they had back in when they started development, and he told me that the game that they envisioned what they showed to the team of like, this is what dying light two is going to be before they ever started is still exactly what the game is. Okay. Mm. So take that for what it's okay. worth, but that's what they're, they, they say. I like them chasing their vision. So that's cool. I'm, I'm, you know, like I'm glad it's not because of some arbitrary length of time, but uh, I, I don't know. I'm just, I'm really split on some of this stuff. It, yeah. The, my feeling is that that vision is a lot, more mm, it's not nearly as focused as dying lights vision yeah i'd agree it's it's going in so many different directions um 
and to that end, I want to talk a little bit about like the whole nonlinear narrative thing. Uh, correct, correct me if I'm wrong, but every time a game advertises that the story is choice based and all of your choices matter, that's always a lie. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Unless you're changing like the color of your character it's n- and the color of your it's lightning. It's never true. Or whatever. It's always it's always like an alternate scene or like it's always two paths that lead back together. Right. Right. I I I said this to people at the event and somebody gave me there were a few examples that came up. Somebody said in The Witcher 2 there's like the campaign the campaign literally goes in a completely different direction depending on like a midway choice that you make. So maybe maybe there are games that actually do this but really like every RPGs game wants to pretend that it's like this super choice based thing and all of your choices matter. And that's always a lie. It seems like. So w- with that said, I saw some of the choices in my like play session. I saw a couple of times in the story where it's like, do you want to help this guy or that guy? And I know afterwards from talking to people that um, if you made one choice, you went on a different mission in a different part of the map. You met different characters. Uh, you saw a different cutscene. Something completely different happened. But I can't speak to how that actually impacts the entire story. You know what I mean? It's, that's a good start, though. Like I'll, I'll give them that. I was expecting you to say, "Oh, uh, you had a different line of dialogue," but like even different missions is yeah, sort of cool. Like different map tiles, different place in the world. Mm. Yeah, and you know that's maybe that's enough. Yeah, I, um, I, yeah, kind of. So there are, there's three factions in the game, right? There's like the survivors, which are your like your runners from the first one, basically. You're like your non shitheads <laughs> group, okay? And then uh, you have the peacekeepers, and they're they're cops. They have, uh, they wear the armor. They make the rules. They think they make the rules. Whatever they're the cops uh and then you just have like you just have like gangs basically you just have like marauders is the other faction and uh throughout the game you're you're faced with uh choosing to either support the survivors or the peacekeepers so when you restore power to a water plant you have to decide if the if the survivors or the peacekeepers are going to have control of that facility. Right. And if you choose the survivors, then they will build uh, parkour tools for you in that zone. So if they control that zone of the map, then you'll get things like zip lines, you'll get airbags scattered around the ground. Uh, you'll get different things that make parkour either easier or more interesting. Hmm. If you support the peacekeepers, they will give you traps. They will build the electric fences and the spike right, walls right, right. and like other other weapons you can use in the area. And there are 13 zones on the map that one faction or the other can control. And you can choose um, at any at any choice, one or the other, but it seems like whatever you unlock is going to be linear. So the first time you side with the peacekeepers, you get the electric fences. And then the second time you get the next thing, it's not, it seems like it wasn't like, which tool do you want this time? Right, right, right. It was very much like they go in a specific order. Hmm. And if you, 
And if you side with the survivors five times, you'll get the first five unlocks. Um, but you don't have to side with the same ones every time. And it's going to change the layout of the map. Like it's actually going to build things on top of the world. Mm. Um, so that was cool. Like regardless of any of the like actual narrative impact that it has. What do you get from the um, Marauders, um, the, the last people? You, As far as I know, you don't ever like side with them. They're always going to be just like the enemy faction. Oh, what the... Okay. <laughs> I think originally, yeah, I think uh, back in the day when they were talking about it, it was like these three distinct factions. But now it, it, it seems like it's just you pick between the two and if you run into Marauders, you kill them. So, uh, so it's parkour or traps, really? Yes. I'm, simpl- I'm oversimplifying. I- I'm being a negative Nancy because there's been some things that have made me go, hmm, I'm still excited, but why would you ever choose anything but it's parkour? Like, you know. And not only that, why would you ever side with the cops? Yeah, that, that too, obviously. But like, yeah. Uh, mm, okay. <laughs> yeah. So I, I, I asked them because they, they are committed to this idea that you will, in a single playthrough, you will only see half of the game. That's what they say. And I asked them, wouldn't it, be the case then like the first time i play the game i just only pick survivors yeah. <laughs> and then i play the game a second time and i only pick peacekeepers yeah there's no and incentive that... to switch it around yeah because That's if i good. don't follow the survivor route all the way i don't get the best stuff at the end of the track right you know so what i mean it's the mass effect problem you need to dedicate each way or you're not getting the most out of anything yeah, yeah. And they told me that, like, they have tons of data from, like, playtesters and stuff, and that's just, like, not the case. Like, mm-hmm. people, for story reasons, sometimes they side with the peacekeepers and sometimes they side with the survivors in a single playthrough. Like, because whatever's happening in this moment, it doesn't seem like you should pick one or the other. I will say that in my demo, at one point, I had to pick between helping Rosario Dawson do something and being a cop. <laughs> and I almost just like unsolved the game. I almost was just like, it, I was stunned like so hard. I was like, I can't believe this is a choice. I get my early flight back, guys. Yeah. <laughs> do the Marauders <laughs> want some help? Or... <laughs> yeah. Well, to me, to me, like not to, not to be like, I could make Dying Light 2 better than they could. Obviously not. But it seems like it would have made more sense if those 13 distinct areas if you're doing the whole thing of choose one or the other, maybe one, have something more interesting than traps, come on. And two, maybe you choose that and that one area has that one thing. So, you know, you go there, it's like, wow, this is a parkour, like a mega palace. And then this other one, maybe it has like, okay, traps. I, I guess we'll go trap. Maybe this one, this one's easier to run through. So you, in your head, you're planning your route. You're like, okay, so I can run through here because I've set up loads of parkour stuff by helping these people. And then this area, maybe I'll yeah. go through here because it's got traps that will help me through it instead of. You, you could, it's just, I don't know how you, I, I don't know how you ever like look at a place on the map and be like, yeah, I'm going to need traps there later. Like you don't know where the missions are going to take you yeah. in the story. You know, you just like follow quest markers here and there. So trap seems like a bad I don't one. know. I do like the idea of like the world physically changing and you can see like if you take screenshots at the beginning of the game and then at the end of the game, you can see how the choices you made actually changed yeah. the world. But from a tactical perspective, like I don't know how much 
like when I unlocked the zip, I, I like did a mission and I picked the survivors and they added zip lines and then I used the zip lines to get around. Like yeah. that is a thing that actually happened. And the other thing is, you know, like the safe houses in the first one. I remember, yeah. Yeah. So instead of safe houses, they have uh, windmills, which you have to like platform up. They're like Zelda towers that you have to figure out how to get to the top of. Ooh, and that. when you turn these windmills back, yeah, when you turn them back on, whoever controls that district where the windmill is, like, so whoever you've sided with there, they will then add their perks around the area of the windmill. So you have like these 13 sections of the map and then you have smaller sections where the windmills are within those 13 sections. That's really cool. And then you have to unlock each windmill to get that part of that section of the map to have the upgrade. Could, could you do it so that you choose to have the zone overall be, oh, I want the zone to be the, the police and then the windmill be the survivors? Is that a thing? No, uh-uh. Uh, it's oh. whoever controls the whole zone. Okay, maybe that's a stretch, yeah. but yeah. Um, we've been going on for a while on this, but I do want to mention some more of the RPG stuff because some of this was surprising to me, even knowing that it was going to be this like nonlinear thing. Uh, gear loadouts. So you've got six slots for armor, and whatever you put on is going to change aesthetic, but it's also going to change your stats and your perks. And all of the pieces that I saw, not all of them, but most of the pieces I saw had a class association. So you would get a pair of boots and those boots had really high um, crossbow plus to crossbow damage and they would be labeled ranger boots. Hmm. So then you could gather all like ranger gear and put it on and now you're a ranger class. There was also medic. There was like tank or something, some kind of like two-handed class. That's cool. Uh, so that's interesting. They told me, I, I asked like if that's really meant to play into multiplayer, like you, everybody has a different class that complement each other. And they said, sort of not really. It's more player preference. Like you build the class you want to play, but like if you have a medic on your team, that would be useful. They can heal other people, stuff like that. But they said that that... Um, that whole mechanic of class building is kind of going to be bare bones at launch, but they have big plans for developing that down the line. Mm -hmm. So I thought that was pretty interesting. Cause I, I think we can assume that dying light two is going to live for a long time. And, you know, dying light became the first game became very different over time. I mean, they eventually added cars and shit to that game. Yeah. Hmm. So, uh, I, I can hear the apprehension in your voice, and <laughs> like I did, I, I did a whole Reddit AMA after I did the preview to answer people's questions, and there was a lot of apprehension there. People are pretty upset about things like enemies having health bars. Um, That's obviously like the way par parkour feels now. Um, yeah, so I, you know, people are apprehensive about change. I get that. It's. I wanted just more dying light. I would have been fine if it was just more dying light with taller buildings and more abilities. Uh, but this is not going to be that. Yep. It's going to be something quite a bit different. Uh, comes on February. Hopefully. Fingers crossed. <laughs> Fingers crossed. Uh, so here's what I have. I have a full written preview, which covers a little bit more than I talked about here, believe it or not. Uh, I also did an interview where uh, I ans he answered like 
I don't know, 30 questions I had about the game. And then there's also a video. There's like 10 minutes of gameplay from three different parts of my playthrough. So it's like my, my footage. You can go make fun of how bad I am. <laughs> uh, and, and I showed off some of the paraglider, which is this new way to like fly around from building to building. And then I also showed off like some of the new melee combat, which, which feels and looks different. And then some of the nighttime stuff too. And I think it starts with one of the windmill uh, things. So check that out. All that stuff will be in the description. Um, I think that's probably all we'll see of Dying Light 2 maybe for the rest of the year. And then they'll probably spin up promotion for it like in January, hopefully. We'll start to see some more stuff. Cool. Any other questions, thoughts, concerns? Mm, I I just feel like my whole reaction has been a very like, eh, ooh, ah, uh. <laughs> Yeah, it's like, oh, they're doing that, aren't they? Yeah. Uh-oh. But, but then sometimes, but ah. no, it, it sounds cool. I kind of like that they're doing a few different things, but also I haven't played the first game in, goodness me, probably about five years. I, I dabbled with the following and that was great, but I'll play this regardless, I think, even if it's very different. Right, yeah, same. Oh, yes. Yeah, oh, George, there's no, there's no weapon crafting or repairing. So every weapon is just like an Wait, eternal really? weapon? So they're the whole crafting system, you, you can still craft ammo, you can still craft uh, healing items and potions and stuff, but as far as crafting gear, it's only mods. I am fine And mods can, be, mods can be upgraded and weapons can hold three mods, but each mod is, a, is in a category. So you have handle mods, and then you have tip mods, which go on the tips of your weapons. And you'll put three different mods and the mods themselves you will get blueprints for and you can craft them and you can spend money to upgrade them. But you cannot just build a weapon. Right. And you can't repair you can't repair weapons. I'm, I'm, yeah. You know what? I'd rather if I have a weapon and it's permanent, I'd rather that than Okay, I sorry, I'm I am literally No no no, no. weapons still break. Weapons still weapons break. Weapons still break. Oh that sucks. That sucks then. I hate that. Yes. <laughs> weapons break, you just can't fix them now. I will say I am actually so the... on my phone looking at your gameplay footage right now and oh my god, it is moon boots. It's Borderlands jumping. It's moon boots. What? Yeah. Why? Yeah. Why? Sequel? <laughs> and and you know what? A lot of people are like, oh they could they could change that. Like they're going to fix that. I don't, I don't think they can. No. Like the world is built for that. You know, like the distance between objects, like the whole world is built around the distance of a jump. Like, I don't think that's something you can change. No, that's in, that's, that's a mechanic. That's not, that's not, Oh, we should like lengthen how long a jump like last. That is inbuilt. This is just how it is. Yeah. Cause if the geometry is built to accommodate that gravity. Right. Yeah. It's like, I imagine that's pretty fundamental at this point. Mm. There's no, I don't think there's any, I could be wrong, but I don't think you can, you can go back on the game is going to have low gravity <laughs> floating. When you land, you're right. Like you're spot on. You, you have it exactly right. Uh, I don't think it's a deal breaker because I'm looking around. I'm like, God, I could play some dying light right now, but Jesus. Delay, yeah. it. <laughs> Delay it. Again. Delay it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, also. And, uh, I'll I'll just mention this very briefly. Real buggy. And there's three months of development left. This is when bugs get fixed. So I'm not going to harp on it. But I do think that some of these things might be endemic to this new engine that they have built in-house. Because I had a lot of trouble like going through doorways 
which is a pretty classic like game dev issue is how difficult doors are. But I would walk through a doorway and just stop or like climbing through a window or like getting to the edge of a rooftop and trying to jump off it and just getting stuck there. Like I was hitting snag. I was getting snagged on things constantly. Um, and, you know, I hope that gets fixed, but also and be- because I ne- that never happens in the first game. No. I- of course, every game has bugs, but it's so important for a game like Dying Light to be fluid. Yeah. You know, that ruins it. If you if you are trying to run and jump over something and you get stuck on something invisible in some games, that's not that big of a deal in Dying Light. That's the entire game. You've ruined the game. Yeah. <laughs> So um, that was happening a lot, but again, there's still three months and those three months are for fixing bugs. Like that's how game dev- development works. So hmm. yeah, that that's a lot to say. I, I played the game for four hours and I just talked about it for an hour. So that's, <laughs> um, yeah, I'll, I'll leave it there. That's Dying Light 2 comes out in February uh, and we'll have... I'm sure a lot more to say about it before then as, you know, new footage comes out and new updates and stuff. That's our show for the week. Thank you so much for listening. Next week, we've got Pokemon Brilliant Diamond, Shining Pearl, or is it Shining Diamond and Brilliant Pearl? We'll find out. We're also going to be talking about Halo Multiplayer and Battlefield 2042. See you then.